guys. Thank you for tuning in. Please share this with your friends and family. Um, and why don't you join us for worship tonight? Thank you, Jesus, for this night, God. I thank you that we're able to come together during this time. God, that you would just give us peace. And thank you that just worshiping you and praising you is our weapon, God. You are so good to us. Thank you for fighting for us, Lord.
Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed trembles at his voice and trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great God, 
Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy unto us. We thank you, Father, for the precious Holy Spirit, who is our teacher and our guide. We thank you that he lives big in us tonight. I thank you for direction in the Holy Spirit and utterance to speak the words that you give me to say. Thank you, Father that you never leave us nor forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want you to turn your Bibles with me tonight to John chapter 8. I'm going to teach a um, lesson series. I'm not sure what we're going to do with it yet. But we want to call it Building Blocks to Victory. I want to talk to you about the, the um, basic things or maybe the first things that every believer needs to be armed with and to make real in his heart. John chapter 8, verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews who believed on him. Notice they believe in him. In other words, they believe he's the Messiah. They couldn't get saved, but they're certainly in position to be saved after Jesus goes to the cross. So he said to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Notice that he makes a distinction between believers and disciples. Now the Bible tells us the Great Commission is going to all the world and make disciples of every creature. We sometimes speak of the Great Commission as being evangelistic and we certainly believe in evangelism. But discipleship is the real commandment. So he said to those Jews who believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Now here's the result of being disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Notice the truth, knowing the truth, comes by continuing in the word. And it doesn't come any other way. There's no other way to, to obtain it. And also notice that the believers, whereas they might, they have put themselves in position to become Christians, to become children of God, there's a big difference between believing on him and being free. Notice he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now they knew the truth about Jesus being the Messiah. But if they're going to continue into the kind of truth that sets you free, it's going to come from the Word of God, and it can only come from the Word of God. From this, we see that God wants us to live victorious lives. He wants us to live lives based on and founded upon his, the Word of God, which is the truth. He wants us to be free. 
Well, free to fail or free to stay bound by the works of the enemy, that doesn't sound much like freedom to me. But freedom that brings us into victory, that's available to every person. So here's what I thought I'd do tonight. And like I said, I'm not sure if we'll take it beyond tonight or not. We'll just have to see how it goes. I've put together a list of scriptures that every believer needs to know. A list of basic foundational truths that God wants every one of his children to be aware of, to be grounded and established in, because he wants us to be free. Jesus paid for our complete and total freedom. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, doing a list like this is really an impossible task because I've put together about eight things, eight different scriptures to begin with, but I'm sure you could come up with a list of 20. We all could. Hopefully we all are continuing the word to the degree that they would be easy for us to identify. But I'm just going to pick out several of these things. I don't know if I'll get to all of them, probably not. But let's start with the first one. The first thing that a believer needs to know the first part of the Word of God that we need to commit ourselves to, saturate ourselves, make a part of our heart, is that God created man to have dominion. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, in the creation account, it says, God said, let us make man in our image. Apparently God's talking to Jesus and the Holy Ghost. Here's a, a conference on the highest level. And he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That phrase or those phrases literally means an exact duplicate in kind. Let us make man an exact duplicate in kind to ourselves and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now God created man to have dominion. He created the earth to be the kingdom of God here on the earth. Everything was built and created the way God wanted it to be. There was nothing that could hurt anybody, nothing could bring harm. There weren't even thorns on rose bushes. It was a paradise. And that's the way God wanted it to be. Now, folks, God never changes. He said of himself in the Old Testament, he said, I am God, I change not. It would be impossible for God to change. We see that in the New Testament as well. We see in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes, and he's God too. The Bible tells us that with God there is no variableness, neither a shadow of turning. It means God's always the same way. And if God wasn't always the same, there would be no way for us to ever know him and fellowship with him through his word. If God changed or was subject to change in any way whatsoever, then we would have to conclude that the will of God for one person might not necessarily be the will of God for somebody else. So then how are we going to find the will of God for ourselves? I know some people have taken the idea or the position in times past that whatever happens must be the will of God. But if God never changes, 
and he gave us his word to understand how he operates. The Bible says he made his acts known unto Israel, but he made known his ways to Moses. Well, if God never changes, and God wants the same thing for every one of us, then it's only through his word that we can identify how God operates. We see Jesus in se on several occasions saying the works that are being done, the signs and wonders and miracles and the healings that were being done, he wasn't the one that was doing them. He was simply the conduit for God's will to be brought to pass here on the earth. And he never turned anybody away. He never had anybody come to him to receive healing, for example, and have to tell him, I'm sorry, but it's the will of God for you to stay sick. Because it's never the will of God for us to stay sick. Sickness is always of the enemy. And Jesus was manifested in this earth to destroy the works of the enemy. So first and foremost, Christianity 101. God said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his image, his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Then he gives them instructions to be fruitful and multiply. Now I know a lot of people have the idea, and I used to think this way uh, myself, limitedly I guess. But a lot of people seem to have the idea that when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, when they disobeyed God and sin, spiritual death came upon all mankind, that man lost his authority. Well, how could that be? How is it possible that man could have lost his authority? Is the authority that Jesus gave man, meaning Adam and Eve, is the authority that he gave man less than the power of the enemy? Was God's plan for man to have dominion on the earth eternally thwarted, hijacked because of the great power of the devil? Folks, when it comes to God's power in relation to the devil's power, the devil's not even in God's same league. So if God intended for man to have authority in the beginning before the fall, since God never changes, he has to have the same desire and will concerning man now. So step number one, building block number one. Man was created by God to have authority on the earth. This is the only place where you can find where God said why he made man. And he describes it very plainly. Let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness. God's a spirit being. He created man a spirit being as well. For this purpose, let them have dominion over the earth and over all the works of our hands. Now let's go a little bit further to Numbers chapter 14. Here's the second building block for whatever Christian should know. Numbers chapter 13 tells us the story about how God led the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt and brings them to the promised land just to the edge of the promised land. Across the Jordan River is the land that God promised Abraham and the land that Moses has led them to with many signs and wonders. Now the Bible says that Moses took one person out of each of the 12 tribes of Israel 
and sent them into the promised land to spy out the land. They went in to see the people that lived in there, to see if they were living in huts, if they were undeveloped peoples, or if they were living behind walls around the cities. And to see what kind of fruit was there, God had told them that it was a land that was flowing with milk and honey, but they've never laid their eyes on it. So the 12 spies go in to the promised land, and they bring back the fruit of the land. It says they had a cluster of grapes that was so big they had to carry it. Two people had to carry it on a pole between them. They brought back pomegranates and other fruit that they were able to identify and pick. And they brought, they brought these things back to the people, and they said, surely this is a land that flows with milk and honey. But then some of them spoke up and said, but the people are strong that live in that land. They have walls around their cities, the biggest walls we've ever seen. We came out of Egypt, and we've seen some big stuff, but we've never seen anything like these walls around the city of Jericho. Then two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, stilled the people and said, let's go up at once and take this land, for we are well able to take it because God is on our side. But the congregation of Israel, the several million people that made up the nation of Israel at that time, sided in with the ten spies who came back and said, we are not able to take the land, for the people are stronger than us. We're like grasshoppers in our own sight. And that's the way the enemy sees us too. Well, we find out many years later that that's not the truth. That's not the way the people inside the land saw them. The people inside of the land had heard of God parting the Red Sea for them and drowning the greatest army on the face of the earth to signify that these are his chosen people. They've already decided if they come here, it must be that God's planning to give our land to them. But they believed the majority report and they lifted up their voice and, left and uh, wept all night long. Now in Numbers chapter 14, it tells us a little bit further about their speaking out to God or to Moses for God's benefit. They began to say things like, we'd be better off if we, if we just died in the wilderness rather than die at the hand of our enemies. And in Numbers chapter 14, verse 28, God gives Moses some instruction. He says, Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Let me read this to you from the international version. It says this, So tell them that as long as I live, Consider this to be an oracle from the Lord. As certainly as you've spoken right in my ears, that's how I'm going to treat you. So again, back to the King James, say unto them as truly as I live. Well, he's establishing an eternal edict. That's what an oracle is. An oracle is an unchanging law. So here where it says, where God said as truly as I live, he's communicating something, even though some of these uh, words are in italics meaning the translators added them to help us understand, or at least to try to help us understand better. It bears it out in other translations as well. God says, as I live. Well, how does God live? There are two outstanding characteristics of God, the life of God. One is that life is eternal. 
And the other aspect is God never changes, just like we've talked about before. So he's saying this oracle, this unchanging law of God, has two characteristics. It's forever, and it never changes. So what law is he saying that's going to be forever and never change? Notice again in verse 28. Here it is. As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Now, folks, this is not just a principle for the promised land. This is not just a principle for Israel going in to take the land or refusing, in, their, in the case of the majority, refusing to go in and take the land. This is a law, this is a principle, a spiritual law that will be in effect forever and ever, not just till this world is over, but forever and ever because God never changes. God's going to be the same when there's a new heaven and a new earth as he is right now. His will is going to be the same for mankind. His will is the same for his own people. So he says, as truly as I live, eternally and without shadow of turning, this is how it works. This is the spiritual law that will govern you forever and ever and ever. As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. The second building block for victory, folks, is to realize that we're governed by our words. We have what we say. Now that goes back and builds on a little bit of what we just read in Genesis 1:26. God said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness, an exact duplicate in kind, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over all the earth. How is man supposed to exercise his dominion? Well, God said here in Numbers chapter 14, he gives us an example that dominion, victory or defeat, depends on the words that we speak. It comes down to what do we say. This is the principle of faith that Jesus described in Mark chapter 11, verse 23. He said, Whosoever shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So he's saying, whatever you say from your heart, whatever you speak because you believe in your heart, those words are going to come to pass in your life. Just as God said, I'll do unto you according as you have spoken in my ears. And folks, if you wanted to go back and take the time to read it, and I encourage you to do just that. If you read the whole story in Numbers chapter 13, you'll find out that everybody in this story got exactly what they said. Every one of them. The ten spies who had murmured against God and said that there was no point in him sending us into the land because we can't take the land because they led the people of Israel astray. They died in one moment of time on that same day. But the, the congregation, the ones that wept and lifted up their voice and said it would be better for us to die in the wilderness, that generation died in the wilderness. And then the two spies, Caleb and Joshua, who trusted in the Lord and said, we're well able to take the land, they were held back for 40 years. But after those 40 years in the wilderness, while that generation died off, Caleb and Joshua went in and took the promised land, just like they said they could because God was with them. One of the most important things that we as believers need to understand, or one of the, let's say it this way, one of the most important things that the Bible tells us that, we are, that Jesus said we are to continue in 
is to recognize, to know, and to understand that we're governed by our words. We have what we say. Now look with me to Joshua chapter 1. Fast forward 40 years. They're at the same exact place they were. They've traveled all over that part of the world, and they've returned to the edge of the promised land just across the Jordan River from the city of Jericho. Moses has gone off the scene. Joshua is now the leader of the children of Israel. And God tells Joshua to be strong and very courageous. He said, don't turn away from the word to the right hand or to the left hand to serve other gods. He said, I will be with you as I was with Moses. Nobody will be able to stand before you just like nobody was able to stand before Moses. Of course, that's a reference to Pharaoh, how that Moses went into Pharaoh and told him about the different plagues and the different things that would happen as a display of God's power so that Pharaoh would let the people go, which he finally did. But in the same way, he's telling Joshua, no man will be able to withstand you. I'll be with you just like I was with Moses. So he gives him some instruction beginning in verse 7. We'll pick up in verse 7. This is God speaking to Joshua. He says, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now notice he's telling Joshua to be strong and very courageous. Why does he say that? He, speaks to, he tells him to be strong and of good courage four different times in these scriptures. Why does he make such a big deal about being strong and very courageous? Because Joshua's not always going to feel strong. And the children of Israel are not going to always have the greatest army. There will be people, there will be armies, there will be enemies that are greater and stronger than they are. And that's part of what Deuteronomy says in both chapter 7 and chapter 9 when Moses is making his farewell address to the people knowing that he's not going to go in to lead them into the promised land but that Joshua will he talks about several times how by the, the word of the Lord he tells them that they will come against people that are stronger and mightier than they are but with God the strongest army doesn't always win with God his people win and he says it again and again and again. You'll come up against people that are stronger and mightier than you. So you need to be strong in the face of overwhelming odds. You need, be, you need to be strong when you're outnumbered. You need to be strong when their weapons are greater than your weapons. You need to be stronger no matter what they look like and realize that because God is on your side, victory is assured. So he tells him, to be strong and very courageous. He tells him to turn, not turn from the right hand or to the left, but to stick with the word of God that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. In other words, he's saying success depends on acting on the word of God. No matter how we feel, no matter if we feel weak or helpless, no matter if we're facing an army that's greater and bigger than we are, stronger than we are, that's the time to remember that God is on your side and choose to be strong. Just like in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. God makes promises to us that he'll always see us through. 
He doesn't make promises to us that we'll always have the bigger or the strongest army. But he promises us victory. He assures us of victory no matter how things look like or what comes up against us. He continues in verse 8. He says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Here's what continuing in the word of God means. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now let me read to you from uh, the concordance what this word meditate means. It means to murmur in pleasure or anger. By implication, to ponder. It means to imagine. It means to mutter. It means to roar. It means to speak. It means to study. It means to talk. And it means to utter. So when God tells Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, he's saying, here's how it works. Meditating in the word of God is, is speaking it to yourself over and over and over again. We put the word of God in our heart. We make the word of God a part of our spirit. We make it the foundation of our lives and build our house on the rock rather than build our house on the sand, like Jesus said, by speaking the word of God, by murmuring it to ourselves. Now, Israel is going to have a lot of times in their history when they're going to murmur against God. That just simply means they speak continually against God. They're thinking and imagining vain things, evil thoughts against God and against his attitude toward them. They're complaining because of the circumstances, and they're continually speaking, murmuring, muttering under their breath against God. And every time that happened, there was some plague or some disaster that took place because the principle, the, un, uh, the unchanging and eternal principle, spiritual law, is that we will have what we say. Well, when do we start saying the word? As soon as you want to start reaping the benefits of it. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Keep saying it to yourselves. Keep saying what God's word says. There's only one reason that God ever gave us a scripture, even one scripture, and that is to bring it to pass. That is the purpose for the Word of God. The Word of God was given to us so that God can work on our behalf. Not so that He can take something from us or make it hard on us. God's not saying that we need to study and keep our eyes and our nose buried in the Word of God to such a degree that we can't do anything else in life. But instead, the Word of God is given to us to bring us into success, to make us victorious to create in us a life of victory, to bring us to the point where we're free. Again, Jesus said to the, the believers, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. And you'll know the truth. How do you know the truth? We come to the knowledge of the truth by speaking God's word. We may hear it with our ears, our natural ears. We may think we understand it with our natural mind. But the more and more we speak God's word, the more we mutter his word, the more we murmur his word to ourselves, remind ourselves of the good things that he's promised us, the more and more we do that, the stronger and stronger we get in him. So he said, this book of the law, this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. Keep saying it. 
day and night. Focus on one scripture or whatever scripture applies to your situation or promises you what you need when you're facing difficulties in life. Take that scripture and say it to yourself again and again and again. I'm not talking about speed speaking. It's not a matter of seeing how fast we can say it. But remind ourselves of what the word says. Think on what we're saying. Let it drop down on the inside of us. It's kind of like marinating a meal. Something that you're going to put on the grill. Marinate in the word. Let your spirit soak the word up. Let it become a part of you. That's where we find strength and that's where we find victory. So he says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then, after we make the word of God part of our spirit, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Notice the Bible doesn't even say God will make your way prosperous. It says you do that on your own because God's word does the job for you. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Remember the unchanging and eternal law of God. God said, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Well, if we're speaking the word of God into God's ears, then we're going to reap the benefits and walk in the perfect will of God because his word is his will. So the more we speak God's word, the more we're declaring God's will for our lives, the greater and greater opportunity we're giving that word to come to pass and become a reality in our physical lives. Let's go to the next one. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. It tells us in the beginning verses of the chapter that the Moabites and the Ammonites and the armies of Mount Seir are coming against Jehoshaphat and so he calls all the people together to fast and to pray and get God's direction. They're greatly outnumbered. So it says, beginning in verse 5, And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said. Here's the, the prayer that Jehoshaphat prays when they are outnumbered, grossly outnumbered, greatly outnumbered by their enemies. Here's an example of a prayer that works, folks. So Jehoshaphat said, beginning in verse 6, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven, and rulest thou not over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Now, folks, I would submit to you that most people would think that kind of prayer is an arrogant prayer. That most people... Even Christians, well-meaning Christians, ministers even, would be shocked at the boldness wherewith Jehoshaphat prayed. But Jehoshaphat's coming from the position that they are the chosen people of God. Jehoshaphat's coming from the position that God had promised all of Israel, all throughout Israel's history. He promised that he would defend them. He promised that he would take care of them. He promised that he would bring them victory over their enemies. So when Jehoshaphat comes to prayer, he doesn't start off by saying, Lord, we're going to get killed here. What are you going to do? Is there a place where we can hide in a rock or a cave to avoid this situation? 
He meets it head on. He says, now, wait a minute, God. You told us that if we were attacked by our enemies or if our enemies arrayed themselves against us, that you'd always help us. You'd always bring us through. Didn't you say that, Lord? And aren't you stronger than these enemy armies of Israel? Verse 7, art thou not our God who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel and gave it to thy seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? Isn't this our land? God, didn't this part of your plan to give it to Abraham and his descendants, and that's us? He goes further and describes what they did at God's instruction. And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil comes upon us, as the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we stand in before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. I want you to notice that they're praying the word. They're reminding God of what he said. Didn't you say, Lord, when we built you this sanctuary at your instruction, didn't you say that if, when evil comes against us, didn't you say when we stood before this house, and in your presence, and cry unto you in our trouble, then you would hear and help. Didn't you say you would help us, Lord? Didn't you say you would hear us when we prayed? Now and only now did they begin to talk about the circumstances. Up to this point, they've talked about God's power. They've talked about God's promise. They've talked about the guarantees and the assurances that God had made unto them. Verse 10, and now behold, the children of Ammon, and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but turned from them and destroyed them not. He's getting pretty bold here now. Jehoshaphat is saying, we've got these enemies, these three peoples, these three armies amassing against us. They're, on, they're right at the edge of attacking us to try to dispossess us from our land. And in fact, Lord, we could have dealt with these people a long time ago if you had only allowed us to invade them and to come out against them. But you told us not to, and now look what's happened. Behold, I say, verse 11, Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. They talk about the land being God's possession. They're living there. They're reaping the benefits of it. But the promised land was God's land. And he says, look at how they're trying to kick us out of your land, out of your possession, which you've given us to inherit. Verse 12, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Now, folks, they come to the end of themselves. They come to the end of their prayer. Their prayer has been, God, aren't you strong enough to help us? Didn't you promise you would help us in situations like this? We've done the things that you told us to do. We're standing in this house that you told us to build you. We're standing before your presence. These are people that should have no power against us at all as your chosen people. Now, Lord, are you going to do anything about this? Are you going to let them get away with this after the things that you said and the promises you've, been, you've made to us? 
O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no mind against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mattaniah, and Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go you down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. And you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning. I wonder if they feel as charged up about it the next morning as they did the day before. But folks, the reality is it doesn't matter how they feel. They've got the promise of God. They've got the assurance of victory. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. Now look at what they did. Jehoshaphat calls a fast calls for a fast and to pray before the Lord. All the children of Israel come together for that purpose. He reminds God of the fact that he's told them that he has more might and more strength than any enemy army. And just like he promised to be with, jo with Joshua and the children of Israel, Jehoshaphat's the leader of the children of Israel now. He has some of the same promises that were given to Joshua and Moses. So he starts talking about God's power. He starts talking about what the enemy armies are going to do or how they've been arrayed against them. He calls to remembrance, calls God to remembrance. What he said that he would do when they were attacked by enemies. And then he commits himself to the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord comes upon this prophet. And Jehoshaphat along with everybody else, is thrilled at the promise of victory that God has made unto them. But they still have their part to do. The next morning, Jehoshaphat tells the people, remember what God said. Remember what God said to the prophet, or through the prophet to Israel. Remember how he told us that the battle was not ours, but it was his. That he would see us through and bring us into victory. Verse 21 and when he, had, when he, Jehoshaphat, had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Now, folks, I want you to realize what an act of faith this is. Jehoshaphat knows that the Lord said the day before that they wouldn't have to fight. 
that the battle wasn't theirs, it was God's. And so what do they do? They put the singers and the praisers out in front of the army. It's an act of faith, recognition that they won't need to fight at all. So there's no point in parading their military strength, even though it was outnumbered. The important thing was to put the praisers out front. To thank God for what he had promised. To rejoice in the victory that they haven't yet seen. But they, that they believe by the Spirit of God is theirs. Verse 22. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab, Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and to destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and the people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. That's the kind of victory that God promised his people. That's the kind of victory that he's promised to you and me no matter what odds we face, no matter what situations we encounter. Let's take one more. I think we've got time for one more. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Building blocks of victory. Proverbs chapter 3. Let's start with verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. There's going to be times where your mind tells you that it's foolish to obey what God's word says. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Thank God for divine guidance. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. In other words, don't let your mind overrule God's word. Always stick with the word. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Verse 9, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Folks, one of the building blocks of victory is to recognize that God, not only is, is it his will for you to prosper and have a full supply, but he's made a way for us all to prosper, to take care of each and every one of us. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. He's talking about the tithe. You'll never find a strong Christian life that hasn't won the battle of, of money and finances. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Now notice verse 11. My son despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. Why is he talking about chastening? Why is he talking about not despising the chastening of the Lord? Well, folks, we all run into situations. We all start with a situation where we come to the realization that God has instructed us to bring a tenth of our increase unto him, to worship him with 10% of whatever we make. Very few of us think that's good news when we first hear it. Very few people like the fact that God 
instructs and really he commands us to bring the tithe before him, to worship him with the tithe. Most of us go through the mental calculations several times and come to the conclusion that we can't afford to tithe. Well, as far as God's concerned, if you want God on your side, you can't afford not to. So here where he says, my son despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. He's talking about not despising the word that tells us to tithe. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. God has instructed us to bring the tithe in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord. If I will not open unto you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive. Well, that window of heaven blessing must look like verse 10. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. That sounds like abundance to me, doesn't it to you? Sounds like we'll always have plenty. One of the things that I've been especially interested in is to find out from other pastors, people that, that uh, are committed to teaching the Word of God to their, to their people, their congregation. And throughout this whole lockdown thing, finances have either stayed the same among those people or in some cases have increased. Now, you'd think that wouldn't be the case, because they're under lockdown just like the rest of us are. And so they've had to cut down for the ones that have even reopened. A lot of people we know of that hadn't even reopened yet. But the ones that have reopened, their crowds, their, uh, the number of people that attend the church is way down. And in some cases they have to keep it way down to meet the restrictions that the government has imposed at the present time. But if they stand on the word... The churches that are believing God, the churches that have taught the people to trust God with their money, not only, uh, not only with their money, but in everything else in their lives as well. Their finances are going just fine. So here where it says, despise not the chastening of the Lord. He's saying, don't hate the word that tells you to bring the tenth of your increase into the storehouse. God's not looking to take something from you. He's looking to bring a blessing to you. And he always blesses obedience. So when we honor the Lord with the first fruits, with our substance and with the first fruits of our increase, here's the promise. Here's how we make our way prosperous. And here's how we have good success financially. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Folks, the instruction God gives us, the mandate that he gives us to bring our tithe into the storehouse is God's way of bringing the greatest blessing into our lives that we could possibly imagine. He's trying to help us. He's trying to see us through. Well, we've got a lot more building blocks that we could talk about, but we're out of time for tonight. Maybe we'll continue this next week. We'll just have to see. Thank you for being with us. God bless you. Have a great week, and we hope to see you Sunday morning for church. What do we call it? Live church, face-to-face -face church. We'll really be here, and we want you to be too.